Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gabby Ree Show, where everything is an experiment. The earlier we look, the more likely we will find things that we can start to intervene about, whether it's a thyroid issue or pre-diabetes or pre-pre-diabetes or cholesterol issues or weight issues. Like, you know, most of these chronic diseases that we deal with have a real long latency period. It's only if we choose to, to look at it and acknowledge it. The conversation about hormones is interesting because if you think of it from sort of a ancestral standpoint, like we were born to sort of reproduce and die. And yet, because of modern medicine, and we're living to be 100 now. And so what are we going to do with these next 50 years? Like, you want your sort of functional age to line up with your hormones. And so that's the gap that I need to fill. And so we talk about hormones. And, and I do feel that if they're done safe, properly with good oversight and, you know, screening for cancers and things that are, that could be potentially an issue that, you know, it can really add a lot of quality to people's lives, clearly. There's so many things that contribute to heart disease. You know, I think by just focusing on it, oh, this is just a problem that can be solved with a pill, we're missing out on a lot of opportunity to educate people, unfortunately. You know, your hormones are precious and need to be tended to. <laughs> And that a lot of times when I see somebody who has a hormone imbalance, it's not because they've got a disease that was imposed upon them. It's because of lifestyle choices, whether it's diet, stress, poor sleep, or toxins, or any of these things that we've talked about. So I guess the one that I would wave would be for people to really be willing to take a broader look at it and not just expect that you know they can just take a pill or just put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's just not that simple. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is endocrinologist, Dr. Jordan Geller. Dr. Geller says, I asked him before, I go, hey, what's your what's your ratio? Like 20, 80 men to women that come? And he goes, no, it's actually like 95% women and 5% men. And the reality is like, you know, women, we're, obviously we have more complicated kind of hormonal systems for obvious reasons. But what he shares is that oftentimes men will either put it on the back burner or kind of ignore it but that how it's important for all of us to really get an understanding of what is going on under the hood from time to time. So, you know, a lot of us go to doctors because we don't feel well, or maybe someone is trying to get pregnant and they're not having success or they've had weight gain, or, you know, certain women, maybe they're at that time where they're going through menopause and they're just suffering and not sleeping and all of these things. What I love about Dr. Geller's approach is, regardless of who you are, He said, listen, even if you and I have the same diagnosis, what will work for you as a patient will be different than will help get me my end results that I'm looking for. So he approaches it, each patient uniquely, imagine that, and sort of like a story and one that you take slowly. So he's not quick to just go, oh, okay, well, you've got a thyroid issue. Let's just give you these medications. Or you think you have PCOS or something like that. His whole approach is, first of all, step-by-step, let's find out what's going on. Okay, things are leaning to this. What are the things that we can do slowly 
that we'll see if we can get results first. So I am seeing more and more, and it makes me incredibly hopeful that more and more doctors are saying, great, let's look at lifestyle. Let's look at nutrition. Let's look at even some natural remedies if they can be effective in supporting your hormonal system before we put you on a medication that maybe then you'd have to be on your whole life. And he lives it himself. If you see Dr. Geller, you know, he has a lot of vitality. He's healthy. He clearly takes care of himself. He spends time with his family and, you know, has that sort of balance in life, even though I'm sure he has to work incredible hours. And he genuinely wants to help his patients. And so Dr. Geller is part of what I am seeing more and more of these doctors that go, hey, listen, I learned a ton at medical school. They, they didn't talk to us about nutrition. I've made up some grounds. I've actually even learned from my patients. And now I'm trying to figure out how to integrate these things into my modern practice. So I learned a lot and I'm inspired by Dr. Geller's passion for what he does and to the level of how conscientious he is about taking care of his patients. And I hope you enjoy the show. So Dr. Geller, I just want to start by, I'm curious, you go to medical school, you're obviously good in the sciences. Was someone in your family a doctor? My dad was. Okay. What kind of doctor? He was an internist, but a general practitioner. But he, if anything, he dissuaded me from going to med school. He didn't want to be that parent whose son went, became a doctor. Like his dad. Did you know, like in high school, like, oh, th I, this is something that really interests me? What, how did you get bit by the... You know, actually, I was, um, I was definitely not like a science person in high school. I was more into like the liberal arts and... And then in, in undergrad, I was a sociology major. Basically because, you know, I'm not good at checking boxes and sociology is a little bit of everything. You know, it's history, it's politics, it's economics. And, um, but I did want to go to med school at some point, obviously. And I finally realized, you know, I was sort of intimidated by math and science. And finally, I just said, you know, fuck it, I can do this. And uh, I went back and did my pre-med and then, you know, ended up going to med school and had, a, you know, I had some wonderful mentors and it worked out. And were one of these mentors part of why you decided to specialize and become an endocrinologist? Yeah. yeah. How does that, because it is, it's, you know, it's, it, we were talking about it when we briefly discussed on the phone. It is one of the hardest, most complex, it, it's a symphony, it's hormones, it's all these different things. What happened in that relationship that you thought, oh, this is for me? You know, I, I was rotating through, you know, when you're doing your residency and you rotate through cardiology and GI and everything, and I went through endocrine. And I had this mentor, his name was John Adams, and he's at UCLA now. And he specialized in metabolic bone disease. He's, he researched um, osteoporosis and vitamin D disorders and all sorts of esoteric things. Um, but he taught me so much and we did a lot of research in that area, and it was a really good sort of template for other endocrine uh, disorders and how we approach them, actually. So bone disease is really fascinating. It's governed by hormones, and there's so many lifestyle you know, effects and supplement issues and toxins, potentially, and, of course, medications when they're appropriate. So it was a really good lens uh, through which I could learn about endocrinology. And it's so funny because even being in your office, you're a surfer, uh, you have a, a, you know, kind of a, 
a gentleness to you, but it seems like maybe you're a person who approaches your practice creatively. I do. And, and, you know, endocrinology is so much about art and medicine. And I know that may be an overused expression sometimes, but we're dealing with, you know, real symptoms and real conditions. People feel crappy or they have weight issues or, you know, menstrual issues or, you know, men with testosterone issues or whatever the symptom is. Um, but the treatment is really got to be personalized and, and finessed. And it's not just, you know, one size fits all approach. How long have you been practicing now? 20, I mean, uh, about 20 years. Yeah. So that's a long time. What have you seen? I'm just curious. What have you seen in your 20 years that surprises you how that's been changing and showing up either less or more? I think um, there's a greater acceptance for the role of um, supplements and other, you know, non-medical approaches and fi finally uh, much delayed recognition um, that there's a lot out there that helps that helps people that was not in the medical books when I was in school. You know, let's just say a real doctor like you in the terms of Western medicine, you're a real doctor. You're actually the perfect person and the type of doctor that can be almost a liaison to do to discuss lifestyle and integrative medicine. I don't think it's harder a lot of times for people to come from the other way, if that makes sense, especially, let's say, for the general population. They're usually going to receive this information better from what they you know see as, OK, a real doctor. So tell me, have you always because you clearly just looking at you, you live like that. You live a healthy life. You don't have to tell anyone. You can see it. Um, do you know who Paul Check is? No, I don't. Tell okay, me. so Paul Check always used to say that your trainer and your doctor should um, your doctor should practice it as close to the nude as possible, so you can see how it's working for him. <laughs> but you want to have a doctor that you go, oh, that guy has vitality, and you know, or she's really you know has a big life force, and they look healthy. So have you always sort of thought, oh, I can slip in this idea or kind of get your patients to see that the lifestyle component of it? Or have you had more momentum in kind of, let's say, the last 10 years of that? It's something that's definitely evolved. You know, when I first went into practice, I had this book of knowledge from, again, a real kind of conservative Western medical training. And my patients would come in sometimes with, you know, a table full of supplements they'd bring in and they would be teaching me, frankly, about some of the stuff that I'd never heard of. And like what? Well, like what? Like, give me one example. Uh, for example, like uh, this is a supplement called ashwagandha, which oh, sure. is, you know, really popular. I remember the first time I heard it, I said, what is this? I have no idea, you know, and literally I remember a patient who brought in and she unloaded her bag of it was just like covered my whole desk, like a pyramid of supplements. But that one I do remember, I couldn't even pronounce it then. But, you know, now I recommend it. I know about it. I've studied it. There's actually good science behind it. It's unlike, unlike many supplements, there actually are good studies showing its benefit. So that's just one example. But I just think, you know, over time, you know, medicine has really, to again, to its detriment, closed its eyes and ears to what was previously thought of as an anecdote or just BS which now kind of come full circle, we have evidence to show that these things work, whether it's, you know, in thyroid, where we talk about different thyroid hormones, like T3 is a really hot issue that was just blown away for a long time. You know, traditional physicians would say, oh, there's no need for T3. Patients don't benefit from T3. And now we know that's not the case. Or, you know, other terms like adrenal fatigue, which 
There's no medical textbook that has adrenal fatigue. And to this day, Western trained doctors will say, oh, that's BS. That's not a real diagnosis. But there's plenty in the scientific literature about cortisol dysregulation and, and the effects that stress have. So maybe we call it something different, but it's, you know, quite evident. Did you, because in a way you have to have a different thinking because the doctor's supposed to know sort of, you know, like this different, there's sort of this expectation, like, Hey, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to talk to you about how I'm feeling. And then you're going to come up with some ideas and a formula for me. But how do you then simultaneously say, Oh, well, I'm going to look into ashwagandha or because, you know, you're dealing with hormones uh, for people who don't know. Ashwagandha is very supportive. I think, is it both male and female, but certainly female, right? Yeah, yeah, of the adrenals. What's the other one? Tungat Ali. Do you know that one? Oh, she got me there. Oh, it's good for <laughs> testosterone and uh, men. You should check that out. I will. Tungat Ali. It's Anyway, but where do you figure out the way to learn about these things that you don't know about? So, you know, one of the things I mentioned about having a good mentor was, you know, really still not abandoning the scientific principles that I, that I learned. And he also, um, he got me involved. I did an NIH fellowship uh, concurrent when I was doing my residency, and that was in clinical research. So the point is I can still take those same principles that we use in Western medicine and apply them to supplements or other interventions or recommendations for lifestyle and so that, that's sort of the, you know, the test that I use. I look, I look in the medical literature. I look in PubMed. I read research, original research papers. I use databases and, you know, we do the best we can. You know, I have an oath to do no harm and I stick pretty hard to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do try to make informed decisions. And, you know, my patients are sometimes their own experiments, you know, will have a patient who has a symptom and will do an intervention and see how they feel. And it's sort of a, an N of one so-called control trial. Yeah. Case study of one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. But I think that's important. It has to start. And like you said, everybody's so different. Right. So when we were talking earlier, why would someone be it, come to you? Like, how do they end up here with you? Well, there's one of like a few different scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, the most common one is someone just doesn't feel well. They have symptoms and they've probably gone onto Google and put their symptoms online. Self-diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> and they come here and, and they tell me what's wrong with them and what they want. And, you know, sometimes that's a difficult conversation because I want to be respectful, of course, and I listen to what everybody has to say. But people are so sure in this day and age of what they're getting online. And unfortunately, it's not always the case, especially with medical issues. So, you know, we'll talk. I always spend a lot of time sitting in this room, just like you and I are doing with my patients. We'll sit here for about an hour and we'll go through all of their systems in their body, their sleep and their diet and their exercise and their gut and their bladder and their libido. And we talk about everything. And then, you know, ultimately, maybe they are right. Maybe it was their thyroid or maybe there's something else that we can discover. So um, that's a one common scenario by which somebody comes in. Another one is just the proactive, healthy person who feels great and looks great, and they just want to check their hormones and just kind of look under the hood, so mm -hmm. to speak, and see where everything's at. And then the third scenario is a patient referred from a physician for a very specific issue, like, okay, they have a thyroid tumor or a parathyroid issue or diabetes or something where they need me to manage it. So that ends up being almost your 
I mean, can you manage and they can improve simultaneously and those bigger ones or like if somebody has diabetes, certainly with lifestyle, they can support, I mean, weight loss instantly. They talk about um, how that right away at least makes you a little more sensitive and that helps. But what if somebody has a tumor or something like that on their thyroid? Yeah. I mean, you know, those are more, you know, so so-called black and white issues that that we have to deal with that may not be as, um, you know, managed with lifestyle remedies. I mean, there's still things that someone can do to support their, their health in any way, but, you know, taking a supplement and, you know, managing your sleep and your stress is not going to probably help a thyroid tumor. Right. right. It needs to be more definitively treated. But diabetes, for example, is the perfect um, sort of synergy between you know, lifestyle choices and changes that someone can make and uh, Western medicine. So when I meet somebody with diabetes, I tell them, look, you know, there's no disease I know of that on one hand can be so terrible and fatal, yet at the same time is pretty much reversible to a large degree or at least containable. Mm -hmm. And so I always frame it as, you know, this is a lifestyle disease by and large. We can intervene and make great changes. And yes, there is a role for medication when it's appropriate. I'm all in favor of that. But I really try to empower my patients to make choices that can change that trajectory. Does it ever blow your mind that people go, no, that's cool. I'd rather just take the pill and deal with it. Cause you get that right. All the time. Okay. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk about that because this is the interesting thing about um, some of our different biological traits that really can work against us in this world that we live in with so much excess and we don't live a life. You know, I, I, I always laugh like when I go to the gym to lift weights versus, you know, before our life, you had things that you were working and walking and doing and you didn't have to like, I'm going to the gym. Right. I mean, sometimes I, I do feel like a knucklehead, you know, you go really like this, you have to go lift weights. But what is it in your experience? Because I'm always so fascinated when someone it's like, okay, the moment of truth, they're here to see you. They're either in the pocket, they're pre-diabetic, or they are they have diabetes. And you go, hey, listen, this is exciting. You have some opportunities. Um, and they go, yeah, I don't think I can stop drinking that or eating that. So I'd rather just take the medication. In your experience, what is holding us back from being able to make those changes? It's just too uncomfortable to change? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you, like you mentioned, for a lot of people in this day and age in which we live, they're used to just being able to, to get something to fix their problem. Just give me something to fix the problem. I don't have the time or the wherewithal to do it. I think a lot of people just don't want to invest in, in themselves in that way. And it's unfortunate because, you know, medications, look, by the time someone's diagnosed with diabetes, just to use this disease as an example, like 50% of the pancreas is already shot. Like you're already playing with half a deck. Right. And we really need to preserve that. And, you know, medications don't necessarily do that. And they certainly don't incentivize patients to make the lifestyle changes, you know, that they need to do. So it's it's difficult. And, um, you know, I don't want to impose my own uh, biases on patients. I, you know, say, well, I would never take all these pills. I would eat healthy and exercise. Right. So, you know, you try to lead by example and, and educate. That's my job is to educate my patients and help them make the best decisions, you know, that they can. How do you keep recharging that system though? Because if it was, you know, I feel like if I was a doctor by the, you know, 10th year, it's like, how do you keep rebooting that system to give each patient sort of that new, 
objective opportunity? What practice do you have in place for yourself to be like, okay? You know, I just, I try not to give up on people and I always think of the successes. That's what kind of helps motivate me forward with, to have the energy to help people. So I think of that one patient or actually it's a lot more than one who, who really like, you know, did it and, and, and that's what helps motivate me. And I, and I'll share, I'll share patient stories with other patients, you know, anonymously to, to help them feel like they're part of a community. They're not dealing with this alone. And, and I tell my patients, look, you know, you can be strict. Let's be strict with the goal and flexible in how you achieve it. Let's stretch out the timeline. You don't have to fix your diabetes and lose 60 pounds in a six months or a year. If it takes two years, three years, who cares? Like we've got time, you know, to, to, to do this. And I think once they have a more reasonable time frame in mind, it also takes some of the pressure off and they're more open to making changes. Do you think it's important, like what you see is that the whole house, their house is on, on the same page as them or their partner? Have you, how much of that plays a, a part? And do you get access? Like, do you get the, the husband or the wife in and go, hey, listen, this is like, we all have to do this? Right. It's a great question. So I, we don't often all sit down together, but it is part of the conversation I have. I want to know, you know, what's going on at home. Is your spouse supportive of this? Is your spouse or partner struggling with similar issues? Do you have teenagers at home where the cupboards are just full of crap? Like, you know, I, I do want to know what sort of struggles they have and what kind of support system they're going to have outside of my office. Um, and frankly, sometimes patients will use that as an excuse and they'll say, oh, like my husband or my wife likes to eat this or that or loves to cook. And I'm like, well, you know, you can still make your own choices. You don't have to you can still sit at the table together even and be eating two separate meals. Yeah. Um, it's not always easy or practical, but, you know, I don't think everybody should be victimized by other people's choices. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's an interesting thing when you're in a partnership, how you do the together road and you always have that way of having your own road too at the same time. I think it's, it's, uh, it's such an interesting dance. Right. So of the three scenarios, people, someone's not feeling good and they, they come in and see you. And um, I, I know that's like, the, okay, weight gain and the hair and the nails maybe can get brittle. If it's a thyroid issue, um, maybe sleepless constipation, a few things. How, how would somebody think, oh, maybe this is, a, is something to do with my, my thyroid and, and also, actually, can you just explain to people exactly what the thyroid does? Because it's really important. Yeah. So the thyroid's a little gland. It's about like the size and shape of a butterfly, and it's in our, in our center of our neck. And it controls or has an important role in almost every function in our body. So um, our skin, our hair, our nails, our digestive system, our heartbeat, our brain function, our body temperature menstrual cycles. I mean, there's not a system that doesn't need it for something. The problem is thyroid, the symptoms are so nonspecific. So if you have fatigue or weight gain or constipation, and sure, that could be the thyroid or it can be, you know, 20 other things. And so that's my job as an endocrinologist is when I see somebody, because they just come in with symptoms, the first thing I need to think about is, is this like a, a disease or just a disorder? You know, is this something more Western or more Eastern, so to speak? And that's sort of the first branch point that my mind goes to. Okay, let's make sure there's nothing serious medical going on. Let's rule that out. And then, again, the thyroid, I, I sort of 
jokingly call it the gland of opportunity because it's an opportunity to survey all of the systems in our body, whether or not it leads us to a diagnosis of hypothyroidism or not. Mm -hmm. Do you, so is it blood work? Is that sort of the first line of defense is you get a panel of blood work and, and what, what is it that you can, that you're looking for that gives you an idea if it's the, the thyroid's in play or not? So there's, you know, a few components to a thyroid panel. The main hormone the gland makes is called T4. And then T4 gets converted throughout the body into something called T3, which was like the more active hormone. Um, and then thyroid has what most of our glands have a feedback loop. So if our thyroid is underactive, another hormone will kick in called TSH. And the higher the TSH generally indicates an underactive thyroid. So it's another, again, indirect way of assessing thyroid function. So I'll look at that whole panel I'll also look at autoimmune markers, um, particularly in patients who have a family history of thyroid issues or if they're pregnant or trying to get pregnant, autoimmunity plays a bigger role in my assessment. Sometimes we'll look at other minerals, um, cofactors. We'll look at their urine iodine levels. Uh, we may look at heavy metals. I'm not a super specialist in toxicology, but mm -hmm. it is an area of interest. Um, so we're trying to dig deeper a little bit to find out what's the root cause of someone's thyroid issue if they do have one. Can pregnancy kind of kick off thyroid issues? What happens there? And, and um, if someone, you know, is there a way that then sort of after the baby comes, it, they, things can stabilize or what happens there? So, you know, it's interesting. So when estrogen levels go up, it can put sort of a demand on the thyroid gland that a normal healthy gland can compensate. But if a gland has some autoimmunity or inflammation in it, or it's mildly low, it suddenly accelerates the issue. And it's particularly important during pregnancy because as I tell my people, my patients, there's like two patients in the room, there's the mom and the baby. And the baby's really dependent upon the maternal thyroid for the first trimester for sure and throughout pregnancy. So um, it does put a, an increased demand. Now, sometimes after pregnancy, it'll you know, certainly clear up. A lot of autoimmune conditions can improve during pregnancy. But um, it requires really just close monitoring because it's such a dynamic time for the thyroid. Because you'll hear like moms sort of, okay, they have a baby and then they're nursing. And, you know, if anyone's gone through that in a kind of normal environment, you, you, you can sort of get back to normal pretty quickly with your weight. And then you'll see mo certain moms that uh, they, they can't get rid of the weight. And a lot of that might be... I mean, obviously, you're already sleep deprived and you have all sort of these other components happening, but a lot of it could be that the thyroid is, is just not working properly. It could be, but yeah. it's not always. And, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of patients will come in, again, certain that it's their thyroid and it's not. And it's other hormones at play or it's mm -hmm. just the fact that their lifestyle has taken such a radical turn. They, they're sleep deprived. They're having to eat a lot of, you know, calories to, to breastfeed and yeah. and, you know there's a lot of factors going on at that time. So, you know, if it's not thyroid, it doesn't mean we can't help them. Um, right. Take a look at it. Yeah. It must be interesting. You must have to be very delicate with people because <laughs> I, no, I mean, these are sensitive times. And if someone is vulnerable and not feeling well and all of that, it's an interesting, does that, that just seems like a natural trait. It is. It is an important trait to just be sensitive and mindful of, you know, what's going on. Are you like that in your day to, like 
you have you have a family, you have two daughters. Are you? Do you ever say to your girls like, "I'll oh, just suck it up"? You know, like I mean, are you just like that across the board? I, I'm pretty sensitive, actually. You are. You would yeah, not last in my house, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> my daughters would be like, "Oh yeah, we got a live one here." <laughs> it's interesting. Is your is your it just can't it just comes easy to you? I mean, look, when you're dealing again with these issues and, and, and it's just a matter of being, you know, empathetic and sympathetic to people, like it's not a trait that I think can be really learned or taught right. as a physician, either you have it or you don't. Did your mom worry about you? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like when you see people, I have one daughter who's incredibly empathetic yeah. and I used to say to her, Hey, can you just listen to your friends and not make her problems? Like she was so empathetic. I think she's learned how to drive that car a little bit better if she's older, but do you, I mean, that must be an interesting, especially for a male to be that empathetic. It's yeah. interesting. Well, it can be good. It can also, frankly, be a burden at times because, you know, as a physician, you have to deal with difficult things. You have to deliver bad news uh, or hear bad news and you get deep into people's lives. And, you know, that does weigh on me, you know, yeah. to be honest. Well, we were, we were talking a little bit just about you know, you want to be there for your patients. You want to be there all the time, but you do because you do have a life and you have to have, you know, bits and pieces for yourself, creating those boundaries. Uh, I think a lot of people, their work and their life kind of mush together. What tactics um, have you found that are kind of at least the most effective at getting a shot at creating appropriate boundaries? And, you know, we're here, we're close to Beverly Hills, I mean, this is a, this is a, I get it the way I want it kind of zone. How do, how, what, what strategies have you learned over time to sort of create those boundaries? You know, um, I think setting boundaries with my patients as far as, you know, a lot of people want to frankly be friends and hang out. Oh you know, yeah, you know, I can see why. Because, you know, you're in a room with someone and they're telling me like the deepest details of their lives and, you know, and, and that's, I, I appreciate that, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I've had a few patients where I've become friends with them or wife, wife and I have gone out with them. And, you know, those relationships sometimes don't last, frankly, because, you know, either like the medical relationship gets impacted or the friend relationship gets impacted and the boundaries get blurred and it's not always a good thing. So, you know, I try to keep those boundaries with my patients. They don't have my cell phone. They don't call me at 10 o'clock at night. And I have no problem like shutting off my phone and going off the grid and being with my wife and kids or doing things for myself that I love to do. And I don't apologize for that at all. So. Do you ever fire patients? I have. Nice. I have. How do you do that? Um, well, you know, uh, I have an attorney and I have a, <laughs> a, I have a letter with a oh. certified letter that has to go out when that's happened. But it's usually for like, frankly, for people that are abusive. If someone's abusive to my staff or to me, yeah. um, that's really the, the line that I draw. Like, I can tolerate difficult people. I can tolerate, you know, people yeah. that have psychological issues. But if someone's abusive, um, that doesn't work for me. I know you're saying it so lightly, but I'm sure you have to deal with a lot of things. <laughs> um, so the second scenario, someone is just trying to be proactive in their health. You know, what age do you think is it? Let's say they're feeling pretty good overall. They've probably had their blood panels done. Nothing weird has shown up. Is it 40? Is it 30? Is it male and female? Like if you were sort of going to say the best case scenario would be like around this age. I know you can't tell people what to do that way, but. I mean, definitely I would say by 30s, you know, the earlier we look, the more likely we will find things that we can start to intervene about, whether it's 
a thyroid issue or pre-diabetes or pre-pre-diabetes or cholesterol issues or weight issues. Like, you know, most of these chronic diseases that we deal with have a real long latency period. It's only if we choose to, to look at it and acknowledge it. So, you know, I don't have an exact number, but that third decade is probably a good time to do a check-in. And certainly for women to, before they're wanting to start families, if they choose to do so, I think is an important time period. Do they have to go through their sort of regular doctor to get to someone like you? Or are they allowed to just call up and say, I'd like to make an appointment? And Most people are referred to me through someone, or if they contact us directly, then we'll still ask for a referral, generally speaking. Because I want to have... You don't so- want to be sending out any certified letters. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know, like, who who can I report back to? Like, if there's somebody wrong with this patient, yeah. they need... You know, I want like to be able gonna- to... Who's, who else is accountable... You know, who can I call and say, hey, this this patient needs this or this other test or I'm concerned about their heart. You know, as an endocrinologist, you find cardiac things and maybe they need to have heart scans or stress tests and things that start to get out of my you know wheelhouse. Right. So I do like to have another person sort of anchored to my patient when possible. Yeah, I, I know what that means. I see what that means. Oh, I can't help you. I'm so sorry. No, no, but I, I get that. So if in the third scenario where you know, someone gets sent to you, are you, what are you, what are you seeing a lot of? Like wh- why are they usually coming because of the thyroid or what seems to also a lot of times, is there anything that gets coupled with the thyroid that, that a lot of them, t- a lot of times two things live together? I mean, a lot of times thyroid hormone issues and thyroid nodules um, mm-hmm. will, will be found together. And those are Thyroid nodules are really common and thyroid cancer, you know, is very common and increasing, although it's generally a quote unquote good cancer um, compared to the other ones out there. Um, But there's a whole host, you know, endocrinology is so broad. So people may send a patient to me for, there's another hormone called parathyroid, which um, are glands that are behind the thyroid gland that control uh, calcium regulation and really important for bone health. So when, when that gland is out of whack, people get osteoporosis, they'll have kidney stones and very high calcium levels in their blood. So that's another thing people may be sent to me or um, reproductive issues. I'm not a reproductive endocrinologist. That's a whole other specialty. But a lot of times somebody will be going through IVF mm-hmm. and they'll flag something wrong with them there, diabetes or prediabetes or something that needs to be tuned up. So when someone's pre-diabetic, tuned up means what? Uh, basically means we need to intervene and protect your pancreas from failing. And uh, with diabetes, you know, ultimately it's a it's a vascular disease. We're trying to protect the small vessels, the eyes, the heart, the kidneys. And so that's what I try to educate patients about. But prediabetes is, is a real opportunity to make an intervention and change the course of their lives, actually. We were, when we were talking and I, I said, what, what is your patient list look like? Like 80, 20 uh, female to male. And you said it's, it's probably somewhere between, you know, 90, 95 female to male. I mean, I understand I'm a female. Um, I have daughters. I've wished, I've witnessed it from a few places. I've played sports with other females. Like, you know, I understand how complex, um, that system is, but why do you, th- I mean, men, men could equally benefit Absolutely. Getting in here. Is it they ignore it? Uh, it doesn't occur to them? What What is it? I think um, men do ignore things. And unfortunately, um, especially with, for example, like pituitary disorders, like pituitary tumors 
in men present at a much later stage with more complications because they don't have the cues that women have, for example, of a cycle every month. So they may not realize something's happening or they're more likely to ignore things or, you know, guys, frankly, will just assume like, you know, I'm tired and maybe I'm working too hard. They, they just don't, frankly, think a little deeper about it yeah. in my experience. Um, I think there's also guys are more like embarrassed about things, frankly. A woman will come into my office and tell me like crazy stuff, yeah. deep, dark stuff that, you know, it's really revealing. They have no problem sharing with me. But guys are embarrassed to tell me like that their libido's low or, you know, or, or frankly, like that they've been taking some supplement that someone gave them at the gym and, you know, only finally now they're willing to disclose it, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there is that issue, but certainly men are at risk for a lot of the same issues. Men, you know, testosterone, we have our own version of, of what's called andropause, like menopause. Testosterone drops about 1% a year after age 40. And some people it can really accelerate. Go off a cliff. Huh? Yeah. Um, you know, men develop osteoporosis. I've seen it in young men. It's not just the grandmother's disease. Osteoporosis and, and other metabolic bone diseases can happen in men. Of course, diabetes is rampant in men. Um, so, you know, thyroid, thyroid tumors, thyroid cancer, hypothyroidism, although it's way more common in women, it does happen in men, especially if there's a family history. So, yeah, I think there's a real opportunity for men to become more aware of their hormones. That, you know that book Countdown where they yeah, right so okay what is it one percent since 1970 or some, something like that so yeah. maybe an average of like 30 points less testosterone if you're now a 25 year old male versus a 25 year old male in 1970. Right. So we you know obviously the environment water just it's it's everywhere stuff Phthalates. plastic yeah so you know it's funny I because people ask me all the time well what you know what are you going to do and I go here it's too overwhelming to take it all, all on. So I feel like the best shot you have is to keep yourself, your immune system, yourself strong, see people like you, get your blood work looked at, have a sense of what's going on with you. Um, because I don't think we can manage, uh, well, what air am I breathing? And are they, you know, is that a chemtrail? And like, what's in the bread? And like, you know, whatever. I right. just think that gets, makes you kooky too. It's overwhelming. It's too much. Right. So, I mean, you, you have a family, you're, you're a healthy person yourself. Do you, I would just love to know, um, you know, if there's certain things that you do just to kind of fortify yourself um, and that maybe you encourage your daughters to do, because I think a lot of times, and you must see this in your practice, what keeps people from starting is they either feel so far behind or just all seems too overwhelming. Like, I don't even want to open the box. Right. You know, we were talking about like a toxicologist or metals. Like, well, you know, when you hear people are like, I have high metals. I'm like, oh, my mercury's high. You know, I'm like, oh, here we go. Right. You know, because that's a whole thing in itself. It is. Yeah. So, you know, is there something that you do or you have your wife do or you sort of encourage the girls, um, you know, just to kind of do the best that you can? Exactly. And it's, it's basically start simple, you know, with the obvious things like the plastics. Plastics are such a huge source of, you know, toxins that affect our hormones. And they are one thing that, you know, to a large extent, we can eliminate plastic water bottles, plastic utensils, cutting boards, obviously never heating things up in plastic. So, you know, that's a good starting point at home. Um, the products that we use in our bodies, I think, you know, we need to learn how to read labels on a bottle of sunscreen 
just like we would read a food label, hopefully, or any other, you know, it's the chemicals that are in makeup and sunscreen. My kids know all about, they know more about this stuff than I do. Um, and, and that's really important because these endocrine disrupting chemicals, they go through the skin really easily. They're, they're all lipid soluble and they store for years and years in our body. So those are a couple things. Trying to eat organic because again, the pesticides are loaded with endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, you know, we do the best we can, but you're right. It can be overwhelming. And, you know, I remember I, I gave this talk about um, endocrine disruptors and, and the pollution. And I, it was all about how there's microplastics in all of our feces now, which we can detect. Um, but I had a slide. I had a photograph of people picking up trash at the beach, which is a great thing to do. And I do it. But the, um, the instrument, you know, that tool that you use to pick up plastic is made of plastic. And, you know, the gloves that the people were wearing were plastic and the bag that you put the trash in was plastic. And so it's just this vicious cycle of, of crap that can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And uh, I, my point is that photo really showed how sort of futile this can feel at times. Yeah. And I think, like, like I said, I think as it is, like people are overwhelmed with work and their own feelings you know like i don't think so many people wake up each day being like i can't wait to take the day on i think a lot of people don't sleep well i don't i think they don't feel well so it's just an interesting thing to try to make it achievable if you let's say you have someone who comes in and you can just tell this is a new conversation for this person where, where do you tell you say hey listen we're gonna take a look and we're going to take baby steps. Like you said, expand, open the window. But do you give them sort of any, like, is it one or two things we're going to take out of your life and one or two things we're going to put into your daily practice? Do you have a starting point? I mean, I, I educate them about um, this great group, the EWG, and their Dirty Dozen list mm -hmm. um, of endocrine disruptors, which is a really user-friendly way to identify what are the common sources of this stuff in our home and our lifestyle and how we can avoid it. And, and so that's that's an example of what I do. Because again, it's overwhelming. Can't start listing off all these chemical names and expecting people to figure this out on their own. But that's a great resource that I give out to a lot of my patients. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. And you know, again, it's just start small, just you know, being aware of this stuff. Um, I think is the, is the first step and, and realizing like we're not going to do it all. Like you said, we can't control the air that we breathe and the soil that our food's grown in and the water that's coming out of the sky when it does rain here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we do the best we can. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I personally have been taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin since the pandemic began. I was just looking for a really great multivitamin, and I love the fact that it has high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. Because for me, if you're going to, and if I'm going to share it with you, put your resources, whether it's your time or money, to, by, towards something, you want to know, hey... Not only do they have best practices, but this is actually going to do something for me. And 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. It's hard to do. And I like to get as much as I can from my diet, but that is why I take a multivitamin. And Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. The other thing is they take nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. 
So I think one of the things is, is like, oh, is it an empty stomach? Is it a full stomach? Well, because they, the way that they've done these capital, capsules, it's dental on an empty stomach. And at the end, you get this nice little minty essence in every bottle. So for a lot of people, sometimes these are the things that keep them from taking multis and making it easy and being able to enjoy it, whether it's timing or I don't like the after burps. And the other thing about it is ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, and they are certified B Corp. And like I said earlier, everything is made traceable and they have a wonderful offer for you today. So all you have to do you don't have any more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You'll get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start your ritual or you can add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L.com slash Gabby for 25% off. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and, you know, live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have it's really quick. They've got 10 minute lessons and, but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know, like talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you you know, speak a new language. In fact, studies show, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer. For a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now, you can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off at babbel.com slash Gabby, that's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. I feel like you must meditate or something. You just seem awfully calm to me. I don't know what's going on. Are you crying on the inside? Like, what is it? <laughs> no, I'm really enjoying this, actually. This is really fun. No, but uh, I, no I, I, mean, I don't, I mean, I don't have, meditate. You don't? Um, you don't. have a very zen-like, so exercise, You, you I would imagine. You know, it's funny when you see certain people, too, that they, uh, you think, oh, they. I think they're, they, they, they like their life. Like, you know their the life that they've created but do you have anything specific that you do that really has boosted you and 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 helps you kind of keep in that 
homeostasis place? I mean, I really try to integrate polarities within my life. So for example, like I don't go and meditate, but I try to just have a mindfulness approach uh, throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm very grateful for what I have. Um, and I take care of myself. I don't want to be the patient that's having to sit across from me in my office one day. <laughs> and that's a real motivating factor for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I wake up, I, I try to have a, a structure to my day, uh, you know, to work out early in the morning. Cause like most people, I'm not going to want to probably do it in the afternoon. Um, and if you're talking to someone yeah. like me and patients, you'd be like, I need to go home and sit on the couch for a second. Right. So, you know, I try to, you know, I so try to have some So you just get it over with in the morning, some do, kind of training? Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I work out at home. I do sort of like a mat Pilates and, and weights routine um, and keep it pretty simple. I walk a lot um, whenever I can. I love to walk and love to hike. I mean, I love the outdoors. I think it's really important to get, you know, sunshine and fresh air and, and be outdoors. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, but, you know, that's important to me. And getting off the grid and you know, having some sense of adventure and some challenge and um, expanding my comfort zone. I think these are all, you know, important things that, you know, we need to do. And what about as a dad? Because I think, you know, we we briefly were joking about how important parenting that job, that title is, and how um, I always say it's like the moving bullseye. You know, it's like, you, you know, you can't really hit it multiple days in a row. Maybe you were lucky if you, you know, sometimes I get an arrow on the fringe and I'm excited. You know, I, I think, oh, that was a success. And, you know, it's like they, the our kids mean so much to us and it is the most humbling job that there is. I'm just curious uh, if something for you as a dad that's shown up to like really be true because you 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 know we learn so much through time, especially after kids are teenagers. If 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 there's sort of an unspoken philosophy that's really shown up to be true for you as a dad. You know, again, I'm so hyper aware of of time and how fast time passes and how short life is. I think partially because of what I do here, you know, meeting people at different stages of their lives, and so. You know, when I had little, when we had little kids and everybody says to you, oh, they grow up so fast. And that always kind of annoyed me. Everybody says that to you. And, and I thought, well, that was a real motivating factor for me. I mean, I've always wanted to be so involved in my daughter's lives and spent every minute I have with them. And I never miss any school event, even to this day, like I'll go to the dentist with them and they make fun of me because I just want to tag along. And, and so I think in some level I felt by doing that, it would I wouldn't have that feeling that things happen so fast. And yet they're older and it does feel like it went by fast, but we've got a lot of great memories. And, you know, I just try to be really present. And I think the other important thing that has worked for me is, you know, you see so many parents who have teenagers and there's just this like break skidding sound, like their relationship just goes to shit and they hate their kids and their kids hate them. And, you know, obviously we never wanted that in our home. And I think you have to sort of constantly reinvent your relationship with your with your child as they're getting older. So, you know, it's not like I can run home and go to the park and take my kids on the swings now, but, you know, we can go like have a coffee or we can go play tennis or we can go walk around the block or whatever it is, you know? So I just think 
you have to find um, active ways to keep that relationship going. And I've been very blessed to be able to do that. It's interesting, too, like with kids, when we have to really try to keep seeing them with those new eyes, it's it's very hard to do. And I'm always I'm always fascinated, like when you realize that in certain ways, your kids are way ahead of you. You know, you have those moments where you're like, oh, I'm barely qualified to parent them in this area. You know, it's so it's so interesting. Um, And rather than fight that, I always will tell my girls like and they'll say, well, what do you think? Or tell me. And I'm like, oh, I think, you know, maybe better than I do in certain ways. So it's it's just seeing them for who they are in this this moment. And um, and then in a partnership. Um, you know, when you're in long partnerships, you have a practice, you have, that's a lot. I know you're making it sound easy and easy going, but there's a lot of dancing. What is it? F- you can only speak for your side, but that sh- shows up, uh, about the way that you can, you can be your best or that it's worked out the best when you sort of adhere to certain ideas. I mean, I think again, you're referring to my marital partnership, mm-hmm. I assume. And, yeah. you know, I think for me and for us, what really works is, you know, you have your life together and then you have your independence. And I think that's a really important feature of a healthy relationship that you don't see often. It's either one extreme or the other. Mm. Um, And so that's what's worked really well. My wife and I, you know, she's, she's an incredible person. We have a wonderful time together. We hang out and, but she knows that it's healthy for me to go off and go on a sailing trip or go to El Salvador or do any of the other stupid things I do. And, and I respect her time to be alone and do what she wants to do. And so I think that's really healthy to be independent people um, at the same time. How do you, you know, sometimes if Laird and I go to work, let's say, and there's a lot of people and you deal with people every day, we can sort of pull, go in and out of it and we'll be traveling and, and, you know, you're trying to be present you're doing it at the highest level. People are confiding in you. They're telling you all these things. You're trying to help them. They're in a vulnerable time. Do you, how do you have gas in the tank for the, for the people when you go, for your family, when you go home? Cause that's always something I think most of us are kind of struggling with. It's like, you're, you want to be your best at work and then you want to come home and try to even be better really for those people. Right. How right. do you have that? Um, you know, I don't work right up till like the hour that I go home. I think that's what's worked for me. You know, so many physicians, you know, they're not even home for dinner, let alone, you know, and, um, you know, I start my day really early, you know, I'm up at five and I, I start my day early and I end my afternoon at a reasonable enough time that I can go home and there's some buffer time where Mm -hmm. we can kind of decompress and reconnect. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it it is because I, I've, it's always fascinating when we're stressed out and, and then we go home and we're like our worst right for those people. And um, I, I always, you know, say to people, listen, I, I treat no one better than I treat Laird. Like I treat Laird the best of any person that there is, because that's what I, I think it's silently, you know, I think he's hoping that that's the way it is. But also you realize when you, if you can figure out those ways to do it, doesn't mean every, for all the time I blow it, but it's like you, you created the upcycle, the upflow. Right, you right. know, and that's really helpful. It's that re-entry, right? Just like when we're coming oh, off of a vacation. I fake it all the time. Okay. Do you fight on the way home from vacation? You do. <laughs> no, I'm well, just especially when your kids were little. I'm, you don't I'm fight just on that flight home. When vacations end. You know, <laughs> that's so. what I mean. Like, do you have that bag? No. Did you get that bag? Like, I feel like our family is totally in a brawl on the flight home from holiday. I'm like, oh, this is a great holiday. You know, like it's all that because it's just all logistics and kids and stuff. But um, yeah, I know it's it is pretty funny. <laughs> 
and I look at other people, I'm like, that family looks happy. What's wrong with us? But um, your food, you personally, yeah. how do you, how do you, what is sort of What's food? my day? Yeah. Just what does it look like? I mean, uh, in the morning, I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much a creature habit. So in the mornings, typically I'll have, you know, a lot of protein. My whole day is like, I'll have a lot of Greek yogurt, mm-hmm. um, I'll have eggs, um, nut butters and things like that. Um, whey protein powder. That's sort of my morning routine and some fruit. And then by like 10 o'clock, I'm starving again. So I do bring food with me to work. Usually, um, again, lean protein, maybe some sliced turkey, cheese, yeah. cottage cheese, nuts, and I'll just kind of graze starting at like 10 in the morning. And by three, I'm starving again. So I, I eat a lot throughout the day. Yeah, but simple. Um, but it's healthy and it's, you know, clean. And I do enjoy desserts. Um, not perfect, of course, you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, and dinner, my wife's a great cook. She, we like to cook at home. We don't eat out too much. So I'm very blessed in that regard as well. I know I, one of my daughters cooks really well. Justin, right? Did you eat before we got here? She's 19. And we were, he was picking up all the equipment. And so she cooks and I'm like, thank you. She's really good too. That's awesome. And she's still okay to chop every single vegetable. After a while, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't even need that vegetable in the dish because I'm over chopping. It's a great skill. I don't know how to cook at all. Really? Nothing. Yeah, honestly. keep playing that angle. I'm I sure. Sw- I mm-hmm. swear. It's a skill I wish I had learned. Sure. Let's talk about menopause and women who come and see you. Because I get this all the time. Menopause, perimenopausal. You know, is there things that women can do? Because I, I really think they think it's a sentence. And I'm in that pocket. I'm middle aged. So it's like, and I just said, I'm not going to fight anything, but I'm not going to just be like, oh, well, that's how it is. I'm going to keep doing my best. I'm going to get my blood work done. I'm going to train. I'm going to do hello resistance training, especially for women. You've got to keep, resi- you know, lifting time under tension. But is there anything that you, that, you know, you would say as a doctor, for women who are going through menopause to pay extra attention to? You know, I think those years before menopause are really critical. Like that's when you're building up your reserve and that's going to help sustain you through that transition. And I talk to my patients about this. Women who go, who go into menopause who are really unhealthy in many ways, whether that means overweight or not eating healthy or exercising, like they've going to have a, it's hard enough, even if you're super fit and healthy but it's a real uphill battle and it's not that it can't be helped. It's just much harder. So I think those years before menopause really, really make a difference. And if someone's like 55 right now or 60 and they go, listen, I was doing other things and now I'm trying to pay attention. Right. Cause right. you know, is it, is it, is it all, you know, is it lifestyle? Is it like, okay, let's look at our food and our movement and our sleep and our stress and our relationships. Um, and then we'll talk. You mean we'll talk about hormone replacement? Yes. Or is that the yeah. question? Like when, when does that come into the conversation? Yeah. So, you know, all those things matter. So I never have a hormone consultation in a vacuum where we're not talking about diet and sleep and stress and exercise and relationship and gut health to the extent that I'm knowledgeable about it. Like all these things always matter. But you know, the the conversation about hormones is interesting because if you think of it from sort of a ancestral standpoint, like we were born to sort of reproduce and die. And, I know. And and yet because of modern medicine and we're living to be a hundred now. And so what are we going to do with these next 50 years? Like you want your 
sort of functional age to line up with, you know, with, with your hormones. And so that's the gap that I need to fill. And so we talk about hormones and, and I do feel that if they're done safe properly with good oversight and, you know, screening for cancers and things that are, that could be potentially an issue that, you know, it can really add a lot of quality to people's lives. Clearly. I'm, you know, I'm conservative with hormones. I'm not like some of these doctors out there. It's always better in my opinion to start slow and, and increase it than to, to do the opposite. So. And are these, is it different for different scenarios? Is it shots? Is it pellets? Like what is it typically? For most people, for most women, you know, we use the skin, we use patches or creams. I'm not a fan of the pellets. I don't administer pellets, so I don't have anything to, I don't have any skin in the game. Yeah. But in my experience, I've seen, you know, scenarios where the pellets like surge and give a very high level of a hormone and people feel terrible. And, you know, you can't take them out once they're in. So I like a drug that we can monitor and adjust. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case with pellets. So for me and my patients, it's just doesn't really work well. Um, but we do use many other forms of hormones. Yeah, I, th I think it's so interesting um, that I think about, I have an uh, artificial knee, and I think about how, what a luxury kind of we have now, where before it was like on a, a lot of this stuff where it was just like, sorry. Right. You know, sorry, you don't feel good. Right. And uh that we have so many incredible options yeah. in, in, in front of us. You talk a little bit, you know, about this bridge between the, the West and the East and integrative medicine. Now, I know supplements is a hard and big and wide thing to talk about. And there are certain things, you know, you're, you're always going to hear people talk about vitamin D and, and a, you know, a short list. Is it, you know, quercetin? Is it a few things? Are there supplements that you you, for the most part, if things are lined up that you think, oh, these are, these are supportive. There are, I mean, I think more often in the perimenopausal or, or in women who are cycling and premenopause, you know, those states than in true menopause. I mean, there are some supplements, um, uh, that can help in menopause, um, like black cohash or other estrogenic type of herbs. Um, but at the end of the day, some of these things may be not even safer necessarily than using pharmaceutical estrogen. I mean, at the end of the day, there's an estrogen receptor. And if there's a chemical that's hitting that, mm -hmm. um, it may make someone feel better to think that it's natural, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily safer. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always, you know, researching what's been published that can help somebody with symptoms for those patients of mine who don't want to take, you know, hormones. So I don't, you know, shove those down someone's throat. A lot of patients don't want to take that. And, you know, I respect that. So we try to find ways to help them. And they, they do, they are sort of allowed is to have that conversation first, like, Hey, I'd rather try it the natural way first. And is there ever a time when someone comes in and you go, listen, you don't, we're sort of stuck here. Like you don't really, the, me, the me, medicine is kind of the only way. Right. There are those times. Yeah. And it's like, you know, why suffer? Like patients will come in, they've been trying the herbs and the acupuncture mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And it's, they still have night sweats and hot flashes and they're not sleeping. They're moody. And they're like, fuck it, just give it to me. Yeah. And I'm like, great, let's do it. You'll feel better. It's, it's one of the more gratifying things to treat as an endocrinologist is menopause because people feel really crummy and they feel so much better in just a couple of weeks. It's really cool. Did your wife listen to you? Do you have her go to, like, she doesn't need Does you. Does she listen to this podcast? You no, mean, no, no, no. Oh. Like, you know how we joke, an expert, somebody who lives a mile away. 
Um, will you send her to another doctor when she's sort of going through different things in her in her medical journey? We joke about this at home because she'll ask me things and I don't really <laughs> want to get too involved. And then she'll say, like, <laughs> you know, you deal with this all day. Like, why won't you share with me some of your knowledge? And yeah. um, it's a fine line. I have to walk at home. <laughs> oh, that's the real secret to the marriage right there. You see that wizardry right there? OK, I get it now. I mean, you have daughters. It must be fascinating. You must be like, I have a lot of answers for you girls, but I'm just, I mean, right? You have to get someone from the outside to come in. It's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> what about? I mean, sometimes, by the way, you know, people at home don't always want to take your recommendations, you know, uh, necessarily. Yeah. So, you know, that can create conflict too. And so, you know. Yeah. Pick your battles. Right. Yeah. It's always interesting. Once you've done someone's laundry, shifts the dynamic, you know what I mean? Um, so let's say someone's just interested in health and um, they come to see you. Certain, even just regular vitamins, are you, in, like, do you like omegas? Do you like, are there certain ones that you go, hey, I, I generally, for the most part, these don't seem like a waste of money. You're throwing your money away. I think, you know, there's sort of three scenarios in which I recommend supplements. Um, one is if, Obviously, if someone's deficient in, you know, iron or B12 or vitamin D, like there's our body needs these for a reason, and I think they should be repleted. Another scenario is if they have a symptom where there's some evidence that a supplement may help. And that doesn't have to be like evidence in a medical journal. If there's good anecdote, I'm cool with that. Um, fish oils for mood and cognition. For example, um, ashwagandha, like we talked about, um, melatonin, um, you know, L-theanine for focus. So magnesium, muscle, uh, tart cherry, I could go on and on and on. So I do, I use supplements all the time um, for a, a targeted, you know, reason if somebody has symptoms. And then the third scenario is really in place of a drug. If there's somebody who has, for example, like high cholesterol, but maybe they don't have heart disease and they don't want to take a statin, you know, there's good evidence. Red yeast rice works really well. So I'll use that or krill oil. That's Something, me, by the way. You take that? I have, and I'm genetically very, very high cholesterol, and yeah. I've had my heart checked, and it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of that out there. What is that? It's just, you Should... know, the liver makes cholesterol, and it's not just the cholesterol from your diet. But as you point out, so many patients are put on medication unnecessarily. Cholesterol is necessary, but not sufficient for having heart disease. And that's the take home message. You know, you can have very high cholesterol and have perfectly clean arteries. And mm -hmm. I've seen patients who have really low cholesterol, I mean, LDL, like below 100, who have dense, bad plaque and, and you know, heart uh, narrowing. I think I heard that in a lecture, like maybe six years ago, uh, Robert Lustig. And he was like, basically saying there's not that much of a real correlation between cholesterol and, you know, heart disease, but it was some sort of political thing from a study in the 60s or something. I don't really know. But it's just funny how we just keep on that train, though. Right. Like, oh, I have high cholesterol. Oh, you get on a satin. So I, I think it's important for people to get more the whole story. Right. And, you know, it's cholesterol, but it's blood sugar, it's inflammation, stress, smoking, environmental factors. There's so many things that contribute to heart disease. You know, I think by just focusing on it, oh, this is just a problem that can be solved with a pill. Mm. We're missing out on a lot of opportunity to educate people, unfortunately. Now, what about, like, I don't really drink alcohol. Um I just haven't my adult life. And, um, you know, it's a very unpopular, I don't really have an opinion. Like if people want to drink alcohol, they should do what they want to do. Yeah. But I, I think it is pretty disruptive 
can be pretty disruptive to your health. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure what is, what's less, tequila? As far as like glycemic index, I mean, yeah, maybe like not tequila. great for your life. Like yeah. you probably, I would probably be in brawls all the time, but tequila and vodka are like the lower glycemic alcohols, but okay. You know, um, it's a problem. It's a real epidemic. You know, it, first of all, in med school, they taught us some rule of thumb, like whatever a patient tells you, you have to double or triple it. Oh, because they lie? Yeah, everybody lies. So that really drinks, I really drink like three drinks a yeah, week? No. But it's still better than most people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a problem. Alcohol is really sinister. And I think, again, what's not been talked about a lot is that in small amounts, Chronically, alcohol can have a lot of potentially damaging effects on our heart, our brain, our gut microbiome. And, you know, the conversation needs to shift from just alcoholics and binge drinking. There's more to it than that out there. I, well, that's why I bring it up because, again, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. And I, I again, I, I support people have to kind of find their way. But I, I don't want to skirt away from something that is so wildly accepted and popular um, and like, it's okay right. that it really is tough on you. Right. And especially if you do it consistently. And it's, it's the last thing that my patients will give up, like, honestly, and I, I'll see patients coming to see me for weight issues and, you know, they've gotten rid of the carbs and the bread and the pasta and all the stuff and they're working out supposedly, but it's, it's not until they give up that two or three glasses of wine that they're having every night because no. their life is miserable and they want to well, see, okay, so that's, that's the other that's question, right? Is like the, that that sort of scale of, well, it takes the edge off and then, okay, more enjoyment, but then less stress, but then the booze, like it's this weird. I, I often wonder, like, how do we get here? Do you know, like, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's just what you, that's okay. Well, I mean, again, like it's a short term, like you said, it, it does like take the edge off that evening for somebody, but then their sleep is poor, right? Their cortisol is dysregulated. Their blood sugar is out of whack. You know, they feel crappy in the morning. They don't want to get up and then exercise. And then it's just this vicious cycle. cycle. And before you know it, you know, you put on, you know, I mean, look what we saw during the pandemic. Everybody either got way healthier or way sicker. Like right. nobody stayed the same in my experience from a lifestyle standpoint. Right. It's and, like we had to make real concerted efforts to pick a line, right? Because it was a it was a very unusual. I love the videos of people going through the neighborhoods and all of the garbage bins just loaded with the you know with the booze right. bottles. Right. So I've been asked um, P PCOS mm -hmm. um, if we could talk about that a little sure. bit. Sure. Yeah, we can talk about it. Because I guess it's a lot more people. It's really common. I mean, it's it's the most common. It's said to be the most common endocrine disorder, or at least amongst like reproductive age women. But I think it's also the most overly diagnosed disorder. It's, it's you know, it's again, it's kind of got a loosey-goosey diagnostic criteria. If you have high um, testosterone or if you have signs of high testosterone, which can mean acne or, you know, hair loss in, in a male pattern distribution or irregular periods. So if a woman has like two of those three criteria, they could be diagnosed with PCOS. So you can see like what girl doesn't have acne ever or an irregular period. So... You know, but having said all that, I'm not blowing it off. It is a legitimate thing and it's a concern and it's a real risk for diabetes. It's it's linked very tightly with insulin resistance and diabetes risk. So when I see a patient with PCOS, I'm kind of trying to put them in one of a few categories. Either it's a cosmetic concern to them for a lot of my patients. Those are the issues that have brought them in. Or it may be a fertility issue. They're not ovulating. Or it's a more of a metabolic issue, like they're on the path to diabetes. 
or maybe there's a combination of all three of those. And so that, um, you know, is, is the area that we address. I will say like PCOS historically, um, you know, doctors just put everybody on the birth control pill and it was maddening. You know, it's maddening because I often say that birth control pills make the doctor's lives easier and the patient's lives worse. It just masks the issue. It doesn't do anything to treat it. Right. And when I have a young woman in here uh, who has PCOS and, you know, I teach them about it and they make lifestyle changes in, in their diet and their glycemic index that they're eating and um, supplements like inositol and, and um, berberine or sometimes we'll use metformin. Um, there's good evidence that these, that this works. And then I'll see them back like three months, six months later and their cycles are better and their skin's cleared up and they're feeling better. Like that's fantastic. So it, it's, it's definitely one of the conditions that's really amenable to lifestyle changes mm. for sure. Do you, you know, I think doctors, you're not, but doctors are scary. It's hard to push back or say, well, can we check or can we look at it a different way? Would you just say to somebody, hey, listen, maybe just get another opinion before you lock and load onto some long-term treatment? Absolutely. You know, there's no harm in doing that. And frankly, like, you know, I think most doc patients should not be intimidated by it. It's a different era nowadays, you know, the way I look at it in yeah. medicine. It's not like the old days where someone went to the doctor and the doctor just said, you have to do this. And as patients, you know, we would just accept that. Like it's a team approach. At least that's how I look at it with my patients. You know, patients are so much more knowledgeable and, you know, notwithstanding some patients get bad information online, but a lot of people come in with good information and, and it's a conversation. It's not a, you know, a one-way street. And so I like it when patients kind of challenge me and, and ask me questions or, you know, we, we want to find what works best for them, taking into account their values, their medical conditions, their experience, their commitment, what they're willing to do, what they can do realistically with their lifestyle. And I welcome if somebody wants to get an opinion, either it's going to validate, you know, what we did, or it's going to find them an, an, something better. Like maybe there's something better out there than what I've suggested. That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's about what's best for the patient. Do you, so you have a practice now in Florida. Yeah, so Florida someone lives LA. in Palm Palm Beach. Beach, and they have a um, someone who knows you that can recommend them. So you, they're not getting certified mail. Um, I just want to say that because someone could be listening and think oh, I can't say. It. But you do? Do you do telemedicine as well? Yeah, yeah, I do telemedicine okay. consults all the time. Yeah. Do you feel? You know, I know like COVID and you know news and all of the world, or at least what the the uh, sort of outlets would hope us to believe that we all really are, you know, it's like we, we live in a combative time and it's, it's all or nothing. But do you, as a, as in your practice, are you feeling hopeful about people's, you know, the collective and how we're approaching our health? Or does it feel like we still have a really long way to go to take sort of accountability and realize how much of it is in our practice do, are you how do you feel well i mean i think one of the lessons of covid that i don't think we hear a lot about was how much our lifestyle did play we're like people that were overweight and obese suffered a lot more and that's something that you just never heard on the news like you know all the years where we've been going through this you never really hear people saying on the news or physicians or medical experts, so to speak, 
encouraging patients to, you know, adopt a healthier lifestyle. And that was really like the biggest um, dividing point between who got really ill and who didn't, unfortunately. So I, I think that there's some work to still be done there. Yeah, frankly. But I, I really when I see doctors and professionals like you who are in the position you're in and that you you are sort of always saying, yes, we can treat it and let's look at lifestyle. I again, in having these conversations, I see it more and more. So I'm personally more hopeful because it feels like also the medical we were talking about how ultimately you guys don't even get time training in nutrition right in school right so that maybe some of the curriculums or at least that could be a bolt-on or you've taken it upon yourself to do some of the work yourself that um that will become more of a normal conversation right besides right. just throwing a pill at it absolutely and and even just i mean i think there is that statistic that we get like an hour or two of nutrition in medical school and yet you know you and i were talking about this earlier how wildly inefficient medical school is and the, the bulk of material that they require us to learn. A lot of it's just not relevant, frankly. And nutrition would have been something. And, you know, other like education and, and behavior modification, helping people make better choices and empowering them to do that and learning how, you know, psychology would have been helpful as well. But, you know, we still, we, you know, we're lifelong learners as physicians. We're always learning. And I, like I said, I learn a lot. I, I learn a lot from my patients. I'm constantly reading the literature and you know, making up for those deficits that the Western sort of medical model doesn't focus on. It's all about, you know, drugs, diseases and diagnoses. And there's nothing about preventative care uh, that we learn about, or at least not to the extent that patients really want that. That's what people are yearning for. But someone asked me to ask you, if someone goes on thyroid medication, is it possible to get off? Uh, or, or is like once you're on, you're on? I'm really glad you brought that up because... That's something that we could talk about with other hormones too. But, you know, if it depends, like if somebody goes on a thyroid hormone, perhaps during pregnancy to support the pregnancy and the baby, but in the non-pregnant state, their thyroid is okay. That's a scenario where they can get off of it. Sometimes, you know, in Hashimoto's, um, which is the autoimmune thyroid, that is a condition that's really uh, amenable to lifestyle intervention supplements. Again, there's good evidence for supplements like selenium and inositol and vitamin D and dietary changes. I've seen those patients get off thyroid hormone. Um, but by and large, you know, once somebody's on a hormone, your body stops making its own. Sure. And that's why it's so important. And this is something that we see with men who take testosterone all the time um, prematurely that, you know, that shuts down their own testosterone. And taking thyroid will shut down your own thyroid to some degree. And same thing with, uh, you know, adrenal hormones or, or estrogens or anything. So, I really think it's important before somebody goes on hormones, whatever the hormone is, that they are certain that they've had a thorough look at everything from their physician uh, or their endocrinologist or whoever it is they're seeing. Do you like Brazil nuts? Brazil nuts are great. Two Brazil nuts gives you the equivalent dose of selenium of about 200 micrograms. I, I know. I keep hearing that they're so or great. I'm not. I'm, I'm not anyway, a big. I'm not a huge. They're the nut that nobody wants to eat. I know, right? right. What is that? Yeah. It's 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 nature's joke. Yeah. Like, haha, this one's really good for you. But, Have you ever had Shilajit? No. It's like black tar. You should check into that. Okay. It doesn't taste very good. It's very good for you, though. Never heard of it. I'll send you some. So you'll be like, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Justin, I'm giving you a crack at it. You get one. Do you have any questions? 
No questions, but can you talk about um, beauty products again and the plastics? Because there was a fire truck outside. Oh. Oh, because e the EW. Um, the EWG. EWG. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we were talking about how it just gets overwhelming, um, just all of the things that we're, can, our bodies contend with, the air, the water, the dirt. We talk about cosmetics and, and skin care. Um, but you do have tools, you give tools to patients and direct them to places. Right. And that the EWG, the Environmental Working Group, is just my favorite resource. They have you know, fantastic website, they have apps, and they have this dirty dozen list, uh, the dirty dozen endocrine disruptors, which are 12 common chemicals that are in the household in products, in cleaning products, fire retardant chemicals, um, plastics and BPA and phthalates, which are the chemicals that give sort of flexibility to plastics. And so they're a great resource because it's information that we can actually act on in a pretty simple way. It's not overwhelming. So I really, I really advocate them. So Dr. Jordan Geller, thank you so much for letting us come into your space and for your time and your thoughts. And I just wonder if I'm missing anything or you have an invitation that you feel is important that you want to extend to people that I, I didn't cover. I think, you know, no, thank you so much, by the way, this was so fun. I mean, I, I think that we've covered a lot of great topics and if, you know, patients have other questions, they're welcome to try to seek me out. And if I can accommodate them, I will. And if I can't, then they shouldn't take it personally. <laughs> boundaries, my friend, boundaries. That's an important lesson. It is. If you if you had a wand, let's just say a wand, one wand, and for all the patients that come in and see you, and you could sort of wave your wand and say, I wish they would do this one thing or think about this one thing. Is there anything like that? I think they need to realize that, again, this concept of reserve you know, your hormones are precious and need to be tended to. And that a lot of times when I see somebody who has a hormone imbalance, it's not because they've got a disease that was imposed upon them. It's because of lifestyle choices, whether it's diet, stress, poor sleep, or toxins, or any of these things that we've talked about. So I guess the one that I would wave would be for people to really be willing to take a broader look at it and not just expect that, you know, they can just take a pill or just put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's just not that simple. Okay, I have one last question. It just came to me. If someone was in a relationship and they were sort of of the, all the ages, is sex important to keeping their hormones like a, se uh, you know? Yeah, like a use it or lose it type of... Uh, well, your, like your sex life, does it is it support and, you know... I think it does. I mean, I can't point to a study that would show us that, but I'm sure they're out there. Um, definitely done by men, right? Do you see that? <laughs> you need to have it. I'm just kidding. No, I just wondered that, you know, like if people, you right. wonder like, is it, is it contact and love or is there also something physiologically happening when you're. Oh, that's deep. I mean. Okay. Sorry. Right. That's for another time. We'll leave it at that. Dr. Geller. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. Stay tuned for a bonus episode coming this Thursday where I go deeper on one of the topics that really resonated with me. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating, and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. 
the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.